Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, Today we're starting a new series called Strong Faith. And uh, we're still going through the Gospel of Mark, but in this next section of scriptures, we find just some incredible stories that teach us that strong faith, what it looks like, and then how we can develop it. Uh, If you didn't get your program notes on the way in, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will get those to you. They're coming along the side there, and you're going to want to take notes. Uh, Let's pick back up in Mark Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, it's a story within a story. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kahum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. In this passage, we see a suffering woman who needs, whose needs have gone unmet for 12 very long years, and a young girl who hasn't lived much 
life at all. She's just 12 years old and she's already facing death. The 12-year-old daughter has a, a great dad that's willing to do whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus. The woman who's been suffering for 12 years has no mention of any family support, no mention of a present father stepping up for her, a dad or a mother. She's on her own. Have you ever felt like that some families have, have it uh, way better than others, way better than your own childhood? Some families are more supportive. We all come from such different family situations, don't we? Uh, you know, some live in the projects or the backwoods. Some have been raised in the upper east side of town. Some families grew up really close to one another, and some families grew up in literally a war zone. What I like about this story is the way that Jesus responds to two very different people. J. Iris was a wealthy, well-known community synagogue leader. He volunteered literally in running the physical management and the operations of the synagogue building. And then a woman who was now very poor, has no mention of any family support. One daughter is raised uptown and she's dying. The other daughter is living in the ghetto and she's suffering. Every woman or daughter here can relate in this way. You know how you grew up. You know what you had. You know what you did not have. And you know what you wished for more of. The story contrasts the haves and the have-nots. But what they had in common was this. No amount of money could meet their need. No amount of family support could solve their problem. What's fascinating about the Bible is there's many layers of depth in Scripture. You can read it as is, as you read along in your devotions, and you'll just find gems lying all around the ground as you read the passage of Scripture. And you can often read the Bible, and you can find yourself in it. You can see yourself in that story or in that verse that speaks to you. But there's also treasures buried underneath the soil of each and every passage, And to understand the woman who was bleeding, you must go back to the Old Testament. The Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation is like a river of seeds, a river of principles and truths that are all connected. And the threads of truth begin in the Old Testament and continue all the way through into the New Testament. So let's go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. You can follow along in your program notes or up on the screen. It says in verse 19, chapter 15 of Leviticus, when a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean, and anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness. Good morning. I cannot believe you just read that. I am never, ever coming back to this church again. (laughs) 
Or you're going, you know what, I like that. That's so weird that he read that. Okay. All I ask is that you just stay with me, okay? Because understanding the woman's story is critical to understanding what Jesus did for her and what he can do for you. We're reading from a 3,000-year-old passage of Scripture. And it was written to a nomadic tribe out in Saudi Arabia in the desert and uh, thousands of years before the word hygiene was ever invented. And these verses are hygiene instructions. Uh, These are laws for how to remain clean. Now, we have no parallel today or category, if you will, that I can adequately describe what it means to be clean versus unclean in our culture today. But what we need to know is this. If you were considered unclean, it was about way more than your hygiene. It was to be deemed unclean, you were literally cut off from society. If your period, monthly period, lasted more than seven days, you could not touch or be touched. Now let's go to Numbers chapter 15. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. God says, I want you to make tassels and uh, the, the garment has four corners, but those tassels will be a visual reminder to keep all of my commands. So the, the word for the corners of this prayer shawl is kanaf. And uh, to this day, Orthodox Jews wear a prayer shawl, a garment of clothing with four corners and tassels. There were 613 tassels, one for each one of the commands in God's word in the Torah. And so this prayer shawl shows up all over the scriptures. Let's now go to the last book in the Old Testament. It's the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the book of Malachi. And these verses we're about to read reference the end days or the day of the Lord. It says in Malachi 4 verse 1, surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. The word raise in the Hebrew language is the exact same word used for the four corners of the prayer shawl, kanaf. Between the ending of the Old Testament and the New Testament, a legend sprang up from this that says this, that when the Messiah would come, there would be, listen to this, special healing powers in his kanaf in the corner of his prayer shawl which meant if you could get close enough to the Messiah to touch his kanaf, the touch of one of the corners of the garment and his clothes, you would be healed. Now with all that background in mind, we're ready to understand the woman in this story. In verse 24, and you can follow along in your program notes, it says this, that a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and then it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She was unclean. She was not permitted to be in public. She was a social outcast. She was not allowed to go to the market or do any shopping. She could not work in public places. Uh, She could not bear children because of her illness. She had never felt the touch of a child's hand against her face. She had um, 
had not had a good long hug in 12 years. Do you know what a good hug is? Like there's people who know how to give hugs and people like, why did you even try, right? (laughs) But a really good hug. There's something about it as human beings. We need that. But besides the lack of love and family support, verse 26, it says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. The word suffered literally means tortured. There there was this gnawing pain on her insides that would not go away. It was was a chronic pain. And uh, she was not being loved the way a daughter should be loved. In verse 27, it says, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes... I will be healed. She's Jewish. She knows the book of Malachi. Jesus is a rabbi and he's wearing a prayer shawl that, and he's already demonstrated that he has the power over storms, he has the power over demons, and he has the power over any and all diseases. And she believed that he was the Messiah. If I can just touch his kanaf, I'll be healed. And she did. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out for him, from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? The Greek word used for power is deutimus. It's where we get our word dynamite. It's an explosive healing power that's coming out of Jesus' body. And then Jesus asked, who touched me? Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you as disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? A little sarcasm from the disciples there. You know, they're getting a little too big for their robes, right? <laughs> we see in God's heart, we just see his, his heart in this action. He's, he's on his way to a wealthy man's home, a respected community leader to heal J. Iris' daughter. But he stops. He stops for an unclean, untouchable outcast. And furthermore, he wants to talk with her. He wants to know her. And he wants to bless her. Imagine this scene. Jairus has pleaded with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come. And Jesus does not hesitate to go with him. Now, along the way, an unnamed, unclean woman in filthy rags gets Jesus' attention. They're on their way to a 911 call. If you're uh, in a hospital and you're seeing the triage nurse, the triage nurse decides who gets to be seen first. And the one sitting in the lobby there with a chronic, non-life-threatening, 12-year-long illness is not the priority. And that's what I love about Jesus, is, is this is, and this is what I want us to see, is that Jairus is the ruler of a synagogue, a man of great devotion to God, great morality, respectable, wealthy, very prominent. He's desperate because his little girl is as good as dead. And Jesus doesn't hesitate at all to go with him. The woman who's suffering has no wealth, no prominence, no favor, doesn't know anybody, and no dad stepping up for her. She's been rejected by everyone for 12 years, including her own family. And Jesus stops for her. 
Jesus Christ turns to the woman with zero social, economic, capital, or power, or influence, and he gives her his full attention and treats her as if there's no one else in the whole world that he wants to know that day in that crowd except for her. Now, I don't know who you most identify with in this story. I don't know how you see yourself. Rich, poor, good family, not so good family, connected in the community, not so connected to the community. Would you please write this down in your program and more importantly, write this down in your heart? Number one, everyone matters. To God, everyone matters. He responds in love the same way to everyone. The wealthy, well-known guy has a need, and Jesus is on his way, sure. The poor, unknown woman has a need, and Jesus stops to be with her along the way. God doesn't respond to wealth, status, or holiness. He responds to faith. Let me say that again. God doesn't respond to wealth, status, or your personal holiness. He responds to your faith. They each had, a, had one thing that money and status could not buy. They had faith. And they took initiative. Later on this morning, we're going to be offering prayer. That's taking initiative. I've, uh, just this morning, I've heard of all kinds of needs in our own church family. It's taking initiative. It's saying, I'm going to step up. I'm headed to prayer. I need prayer this morning. It's taking initiative. And no matter who you are, God responds to your faith. A father and a woman get up on the very same morning. They don't even know each other. And they think to themselves, I believe Jesus can help me. Now imagine this scene. On one hand, Jairus is happy that God cares about this woman, that that Jesus loves everyone. But he must have been thinking, my need's more urgent. My daughter's literally dying. We don't know what ran through Jairus' mind at that moment. We can only guess. Thoughts like, why are you healing her first? My daughter's dying. I mean, this is urgent. My, My family needs are greater than your family's needs. And this is an unholy, unclean woman who has no business being out in public at all. She's unclean. And a synagogue leader knows that. She's unclean. She shouldn't even be here. This is a really big inconvenience. Let's drill just a little bit deeper of what those thoughts might have been. It might have been something like, huh, that person over there, they're sick and they're poor because of their own bad choices. I've actually heard religious people say that. You know, she just doesn't know how to manage her money. That's why she doesn't have good clothes. That's why they're homeless. They just don't know how to manage their money. They just made a bunch of poor choices. Off with them. It's her fault that she's a mess. She's probably, probably has sin in her life, and that's why she's so sick. The religious, mean-spirited person is not only known for beating people down while they're down, but judging them and blaming them at the same time. Brave church, we are not religious, mean-spirited people here. That's not who we are. They don't work here. They don't fit here. There's plenty of other churches they can go to, but that isn't our heart. That isn't the heart of Jesus. When someone's down, blame them, judge them for being down. Jairus could have thought, I deserve God's favor more. I volunteer at the church. I'm a good person in the community. I give generously. My, my needs should take priority around here. Let me, let me force myself to the front of the line here. 
We don't know what Jairus thought. What we do know is Jairus' faith is being tested in this very moment. If he doesn't get Jesus to his daughter, she will die. Can you relate to that? Jesus, I need you now, not later. Ever prayed that kind of prayer? Jesus, I'm praying right now, but just so we're clear, I actually need you to come through now. Like I've prayed before and like it took months, I need it by Friday, right? Or something like, God, can I get a little help down here? I mean, really, really, I'm a good person. I mean, I'm not robbing banks here. You know, I'm not a Lakers fan. Can I get a little help down here? You know what I'm saying, right? Sometimes we even threaten God. God, if you don't come through, it's over between me and you. I mean, when we get really desperate, we kind of go to the unresourceful dark side of who we are. Have you noticed that when things aren't going our way, no one blames Jesus, they blame God? We depersonalize God in that moment when we blame him. God, you allowed this to happen. God, it's your fault. God, if you're real. No one blames Jesus ever for being unloving or uncompassionate. And that's because we have such a distorted view of who God is. Who God is is Jesus in the flesh. He's the exact representation of God. The truth is, what we see in Jesus is a loving, compassionate, caring God. He is God. In that moment, there was something far more important to Jesus than just healing. Healing is temporary. Jesus always puts relationship over miracles. Jesus always puts relationship with him over miracles. He wants to know you. The power had gone out for him. Someone was healed, and what he wanted was to know the person. He wanted the person to know who he was, and he wanted even something more for that person. No matter what you've done, don't have, do have, haven't done. With God, everyone matters. And because of that, number two, God wants to know you. He cares about this unnamed woman, the the woman who's been abandoned by her family, the woman who would no doubt like to be married. Maybe you're here as a woman and you say, man, I would just love to be married someday. God knows that. God knows that. There are junctures in all of our lives where faith really matters and that we get to exercise faith for a period or season in our life. God wants to know you and God cares about you. And if you want to know how God feels about you, read about this Jesus. Watch how Jesus responds. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He didn't just want to heal her. He wanted to know her. He wanted to bless her. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Why? She was unclean. She wasn't even supposed to be out in public, and she knew this. She didn't know what the crowds were going to do. She didn't know what was going to happen in this next moment. And and it says, he told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus calls her my daughter, a term of endearment, of affection. When an older man says, you're like a daughter to me, that's something very special. It means you're special. Every chance I get, I tell people about my daughter, Marcy, because she has my heart. I have a daughter. Her name is Marcy. It's weird. I'm in the lobby of Big O Tires. I have a daughter. Her name is Marcy. I'm, I'm really excited about that. I also have other sons and daughters in the faith, and they call me pastor dad. 
And it just means that we love each other. They honor me and I love them. And you're like a son or you're like a daughter to me as well. Jesus calls this woman out of the crowd in front of everybody that's been rejected emotionally for 12 years. And it's like he, it's like he says this, hi, honey, I want everyone to know here that you belong to me. I want everyone here that's rejected you and thought less of you, and I want to elevate you in this moment, and I want to say that you're my daughter. Can you imagine how healing those words were for her? It's one thing to be healed. What She thought her biggest need was the bleeding and the chronic illness. But 12 years of emotional rejection and pain from her parents, from her family, the abandonment that she had felt from her friends. Jesus stops on the way to an emergency to take time and say, you matter. To all the women, Jesus is still stopping today to say, you're my daughter too. And then he says to her, your faith has healed you. Not your wealth, not your status, not your good deeds today, not your personal righteousness or perfection or where you were raised or how you were raised or what you did have or didn't have. Your faith has healed you. He's saying, it's not my prayer shawl. It's not my kanaf that's healing you. It's not the magical clothing that's healing you. I remember when I was a small kid, my brother and I lived with my grandmother for a period of time because of my dad's illness. And uh, whenever I would get sick, my grandma would read the story of the Apostle Paul. There's this incredible story where the Apostle Paul uh, one time prayed over handkerchiefs, and then they were sent out, and whoever would touch those handkerchiefs, they would be healed. And so she taught me, she, she brought out a handkerchief and prayed over it, and she said, this handkerchief is not magical. It's just a point of contact for your faith, for you to believe. And she would then pray for me and place it underneath my pillow at night and then pray for my healing. Jesus says, it's, it's not a magical clothing thing. It's your faith. Don't, don't buy sand from the Dead Sea and all that ridiculous stuff. I mean, really? You believe in me. You believe in who I am and what I can do for you. Miracles happen where there's faith. Miracles will happen today. We're minutes away from miracles. When we pray, God responds to those. We've already had many miracles this year, many miracles last year. This is a place where God does miracles. You can spread the word. You can tell your friends. And after she's healed physically, Jesus says to her, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means so much in that moment when God says shalom, he's speaking over her a blessing of a deep sense of well-being. A deep sense of wholeness. He's putting her back together again, all on the inside. It's a deep sense of joy and delight that he's blessing her with, a harmony with God and with others in her body. And she experiences the peace and the shalom of Jesus. And in a few short minutes... 12 long years of suffering comes to an end. Number three, lastly, faith is trusting God with the ending. Everyone in the crowd had a need that day. 
Jairus did whatever he had to do to get Jesus' attention. And the woman literally grabbed a hold of God. You've got to be willing to get up out of your seat and walk 30 feet and say, I need God today. I need prayer today. You've got to move past your discouragement. Well, I've been prayed for before and it's, it's not happened. You don't know if this isn't your moment. You don't know. The woman literally grabbed a hold of God. They were convinced if they believed Jesus could change their situation. And so they pressed through the discouragement of that particular day, this Sunday morning, and the crowdedness of my life and the distractions. Now, as moving as this woman's story is, her entire story, through no fault of her own, was an interruption while they were on their way to pray for Jairus' daughter. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine if you're the father, what a punch in the gut at that moment. All the wind is knocked out of you. This is the most devastating moment of your entire life. It's over. Your your 12-year-old daughter is dead. And you lose hope that your story could ever have a happy ending. Jairus had a plan, and that was, if I can get Jesus to my home in time. The Bible says that man makes plans. Human beings, we make plans. And then God directs our paths. And he's now thinking, it's too late for God to help now. You may be feeling that way. It's too late for this story to end the way that I had hoped that it would end. Like they said, why bother God with this anymore? There may be areas in your life that you've already given up on faith, maybe after years, and you just, you know, I'm just, you don't think of it as giving up, but there's kind of just an indifference. I'm just going to leave it alone now. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. I think Jesus overhears us. (laughs) I think he can hear what you're saying and what I'm saying. And how does he respond? He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe is the same word he used when he told the woman, your faith, your belief has healed you. And now the plot takes this very interesting twist. You see, all along, the woman's story looks like an interruption. Now Jesus tells Jairus to have faith just like who? Just like the woman who was healed right in front of you. God never wastes a moment. Jairus, have faith like hers. She believed for 12 long years. Can you believe for the next 12 minutes the time it will take for you and I to walk to your home? Remember what you saw me do for her? Don't lose heart. Remember what I've done for others? Remember the stories that you've heard of others? Church, Brave, remember the stories? Have you heard stories in your own family, in your own lineage? Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you heard stories of healing of other people? Remember those. Have faith for your need too. Can I get an amen? amen. When, I, when we teach, and if you agree, you can always say amen. This is church. You can say amen. Or you can say that's right. Or you can say go warriors. <laughs> but that's about it. When Jesus arrived at home, 
At this home, there were professional mourners there who had, who had been hired. In the first century culture, you would hire paid mourners for someone that you loved. Like your depth of mourning was so big, you would even hire other people to mourn as well. And the funeral was always on the same day because of the sun and the body, it would decay. So they would, it was immediate. And Jesus says, she's asleep. Meaning in the Christian faith, when we die, we are asleep until we are resurrected. Yeah. That's why in our mourning as Christians, we're not hopeless. We mourn when a loved one dies, but we're not hopeless. They're asleep. They will rise again. We will see them again. And that's also why Jesus doesn't have to arrive when you want him to. Oh, give me an amen on that one. Jesus doesn't have to arrive when you want him to, because with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is over until God says it's over. What's being on time anyways? I mean, really. In our culture, if you arrive 15, you know, one culture, you arrive 15, 30 minutes late, you know, it's totally okay, you're really on time. Another culture, you arrive late, it's offensive, it's disrespectful. If I tell you that we're going to arrive at 7 p.m., we'll be there like at 7 p.m. or a little bit early unless we get lost. One of, one of my dearest friends is Latino. He's brown. And if he tells me I will be there at 7 p.m., what that really means is anytime that evening, <laughs> like between 7 to 10, is really good. He's not upset at all when he arrives at 9.30. I'm like grinding on the inside like, yeah, I told you seven. You know, it's like, no, he doesn't care. He's brown. He's Latino. Jesus is brown. And he wears sandals. What does that tell you? Some of you, some of you white people are shocked. Jesus is brown? I didn't know that. I, you know, like, What? God's sense of timing will always confound ours. If you insist on imposing your objective, universal, right and wrong view of time on God, you may never feel loved. You are not in control. Delays purge us of self-righteous entitlement, of our self-centeredness and pride and our desire to control everyone and everything around us, including God, and when he needs to do something in our lives. God's blessings come when he's ready to give them. And you just, you don't know, it may be today. You see, that's what faith's all about. Like it could be in the next few minutes. You just never know with God. But what does he respond to? Faith. And so our posture and our attitude to trust him and believe who he is, is what's best for us. I think God, I think God views time more as a story your life is a story. And God shows up in your life story at just the right time. And so we must trust God and his love and his compassion for us to the point that when it looks like he's too late, remember your story is still being written. In year one, it looked like God was too late for that woman. In year two, it looked like God was too late. In year three, it looked like God was too late. You get the point? It's been 12 years. All along it looked like God was too late. Faith is trusting God with the ending and the timing. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kahum, it was Aramaic, that's Jesus' native tongue. And he says to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. Honey, it's time. 
Honey, I love you. You're my daughter. It's time. It's time. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. At this, they were completely astonished. The gospel of Mark is saying, here's what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. When we experience Jesus, the untouchable are touched, the incurable are cured, the hopeless find hope. Do you need hope or faith this morning for yourself? Is there something that you need a miracle for? Is there a loved one that you need to be praying for right now? Not a, you know, now we lay my head down to sleep or Lord bless this food. Like you need to be praying for a relative, a friend, a loved one, someone you know. And today is about trusting God with the ending that it's never too late for your need to be met. Josh, can you come out? Our hope is not just in what can happen in our own lifetime. Our trust is in God goes way beyond this lifetime. You see, the gospel not only saves us now and can heal us now, but we're actually all dying for more. And it's called heaven. Have faith that God can show up in your home too. That he can come to your home too. And whether it's been 12 years or 12 of the longest minutes of your life, have faith. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind just to close your eyes in reverence to those that are around you, the first and most important thing that Jesus comes to you today is to say, where are you? I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. That's the first thing. And if you're here today and you say, I'd like to know Jesus. I'd like shalom. I'd like to have peace with God. I want to make a decision to begin to follow Jesus today. I don't understand it all, but I know in my heart, there's faith in my heart that says, I want to do this. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just right where you're sitting, just, just slip up your hand and say, yes, 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 yes. That's wonderful. Amen. Amen. Yes. You can put those hands down. I'm going to pray a prayer for you and you can make this your own prayer. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I want to follow you. I I, I want to make a decision today to make you Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I declare today that, that you died on a Friday and you were resurrected on a Sunday and you have power over all the death and the wages of sin in my life. One day I'll fall asleep, but I'm trusting you that I'll be resurrected again. I ask you to come into my heart, come into my home, come into my life and be Lord in Jesus' name. Now, would you look up here at me? Um, We're just going to flow with this, all right? So stand very quietly. I just believe there are a lot of needs here this morning. I'd like our prayer team to come up front here. Uh, Those that I've talked to, come on up. Derek, Heather, Tracy, Pastor Samuel, those just come up. We're going to pray for people because I believe... uh, We had one of our elders was in the hospital on Friday. He's okay now. One of our elders, his daughter right now is in the hospital. We just found out just this morning. I don't believe it's by accident that we started a series called Strong Faith here today. And I just want to encourage you to take the 20 feet out of your chair to say, God, I'm going to have faith. I need prayer for healing. I need life to God to touch me. And the worship team, as they sing this song, give me faith as you're ready Just come up here and we will pray for you today. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.
Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.